but they're also just really fun animals. Um, and they have lots of really cool vocabulary words associated with them. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to the, well, one of the only podcasts that discusses caruncles, waddles, and snoods, the Rasafari Podcast. Don't worry if you don't know what those words are, you will by the end of this episode, and I'm sure you'll be giving thanks for that knowledge. That's a little hint, y'all. I am really grateful to have y'all back for another episode, the 50th episode of this podcast. I cannot believe we have hit 50 episodes already. True story, when I launched this podcast, I was really concerned that I wouldn't be able to get many interviews, so I set a goal for myself. I was going to do one 12-episode season with one episode a week, and then reassess and see if this was something I could keep going. Heck, I wasn't even sure anyone would listen. But y'all did, and continue to, and now I'm almost six months into this project, with no pause in sight, continuing my two-episode-a-week pace with well over 8,500 downloads already. I've made a bunch of incredible friends, raised a good bit of money for conservation, met a ton of amazing animals, and hopefully brightened a bunch of your days in what has been, for many of us, the hardest sustained time in our lives. You know what's a hard phrase to say? hardest sustained time. Anyway, I've also seen an incredible community grow up and connect around this podcast with guests and fans reaching out to me and to each other, helping make the zoo and conservation world even just that much smaller. And honestly, it has all meant the world to me. So now that we are 50 episodes in, I want to hear from you. What do you like about the podcast? What would you like to hear more of or less of? And please don't say bad jokes because that will never change. I gotta be me. Have any ideas for guests I should look into or any facilities you'd like to hear featured on the podcast? Any ideas for an episode I haven't thought of yet? The best way to reach me is by messaging me on Instagram or Facebook at Rossafari. You can also email me at rossafaripod at gmail.com. I really want to hear from more of you about what you want this podcast to be. I may not always be able to accommodate, but I'm happy to do so when I'm able. I want this community to continue to grow and to help save animals together. And I really want to make Stider happen. Only those of you who listen all the way to the end of each episode will get that joke. Okay, enough celebrating this silly show of mine. Let's get on to today's episode. I'm bringing you my third episode from the Fort Worth Zoo, this time with Jesse and Trip Gorman. Jesse is an outreach keeper at the zoo, and Trip is an elephant keeper. They have the unique distinction of being the first married couple of zookeepers I've talked to on the podcast, and I had a lot of fun breaking down what being a married couple at the zoo is like for them. They also have a three-year-old child to take care of, and hearing even just a little bit about what life is like as a kid growing up in a zoo family was a definite highlight of this interview for me. 
Also, the story of where and how Trip and Jesse met is pretty fantastic. You're going to enjoy getting to meet these two. So, I mentioned in the first episode of this Fort Worth trilogy that the team at the zoo was really gracious and planned an amazing day for me. An incredible part of this day was spending time exploring the new Elephant Springs exhibit, phase two of the $100 million master plan I mentioned in the first episode. It is stunning. The huge open areas, the amazing pool, the interactive way the elephants will be able to experience enrichment, it's all just beautiful. I legit wanted to go swim and play in the new area that the elephants are going to be living in soon. Wait until you all see it. It's incredible. We talk in this episode about what goes into planning a huge new exhibit like Elephant Springs, and I think it is fascinating. After sneaking into Elephant Springs, okay, with permission and an escort, so I guess it wasn't much of a sneak, we headed to meet Jesse, and I got to meet some of the incredible ambassador animals at the zoo. It was an awesome time, and some of the most exciting animals were not the ones I was expecting to be excited about. I'll leave that part to the interview, but let's just say that Percy is one of the coolest animals I've ever seen at a zoo. Who's Percy? Well, you'll have to keep listening to find out. Okay, I think it's time. Here is my interview with Trip and Jesse Gorman of the Fort Worth Zoo. All right, so um, why don't you guys tell me who you are? where we are, and what you both do here. And yep, you get to look at each other and figure out who's going to start. Uh, I am Jessie Gorman, and we're here at the Fort Worth Zoo, and I work in the outreach department. My name is Trip Gorman. I'm an elephant keeper here at the Fort Worth Zoo. <laughs> okay, amazing. Now I notice that you guys have the uh, the same last name. We sure do. Married couple? We are a married couple. Amazing. I really want to get into that. But let's start <laughs> off with uh, with the individual stories. Jesse, what, what brought you to keeping? Um, so I always knew I wanted to pursue a career in animals. My um, college degree is an associate's degree in zoo animal technology. Um, so I set myself up for zookeeping from the start. Um, and then right out of college, my first job um, truly in the animal field was working for Ringling Brothers Circus. So I traveled with them for about um, five years First as a hoofstock groom, so that was with horses, zebras, and goats, um, and then I became their veterinary technician. Um, after the circus, we went to the Nashville Zoo and then landed here in Fort Worth. Amazing. And Trip, how about you? Uh, I actually kind of fell into it. In between 8th and ninth grade, there was a bulletin in our uh, middle school, and it was for the Greenville Zoo in Greenville, South Carolina, for a volunteer in the education department, and it's pretty much on from there. I started on education and then moved on to uh, larger animals, elephants, pretty much right away. And my first paid gig was for Ringling Brothers in 2006. Okay. Very cool. So did you guys meet at the circus? Met at the circus. We met in 2008 and started dating in 2009. All right. Very cool. Um, What was that like? (laughs) Uh. At the circus, it uh, it wasn't unusual for coworkers to date at the circus because it was a group of about 200 people, depending on the year. But it's 200 people who live and work and travel together all the time. So everybody knows everybody, and your options are 
you know, pretty limited in that circumstance. So <laughs> it was not unusual to be dating someone who also worked there. That was pretty, pretty normal there. Fair. I feel like we could do an entire podcast and we won't, but we could just talking about life on the road because as a touring musician, yeah, there's, it's, it's, its own world really, you know? We absolutely could spend as much time as you needed <laughs> talking about the circus. It was an amazing experience. That's really cool. Awesome. So, um, and then you said you went to Nashville. Was that the both of you went to Nashville or was yep. that? Okay. I went to Nashville in 2012. And, and then wow. I came a year later. So I wasn't quite done with the circus yet as soon as he was. So we decided to date long distance for a year. Um, and I, so I joined him after that. Very cool. And then was it right from Nashville to Fort Worth? Yes. Awesome. Uh, who came first or was it a package deal? Trip came <laughs> first. Yeah. We always kind of let him dictate where we're going first because he pretty much only works elephants, only wants to work elephants, willing only to work elephants. I'm a little more flexible. Um, I'm happy to work with basically any animal pretty much. Um, and so luckily I've always been able to land jobs in outreach departments, which is what I truly love to do. Um, but because I had a little more flexibility and a lot more zoos have outreach departments than have elephants, um, we've kind of gone where the elephants are. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. Very cool. And so I'm really curious what it is like being a married couple at a zoo, because I know that zoo life can be stressful. Maybe after touring, less stressful, because I know that touring is the ultimate stress <laughs> for many people. But so tell me what it's like being being a married couple, both working at, at a zoo. I'd say it's more stressful. Okay. Um, for us, when we were touring, our house was 20 feet away from the elephant barn. And uh, here, we have a son. Uh, we work uh, similar schedules. But if an animal's to get sick, uh, we have to figure out who's going to watch our son, who's going to stay late, who. Like we have a lot of lot more things going, and when we were on the show, it was a lot easier, like to just look at one of your coworkers and be like, "Can you watch my kid for me?" <laughs> <laughs> so there's there, it's a lot more logistics, and I'd say the zoo world. Sure, that makes sense. It's interesting. Very cool. Um, Having a kid definitely makes the logistics a lot harder. They do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In general. Yeah. Very much so. Um, very cool. And but how old, so how old's your kid now? He's 3. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and he's he's just growing up as a zoo kid, huh? Yes. That's he cool. Comes to the zoo all the time. He assumes that every keeper is his friend and knows him. And most of them do know him. To, to be, be fair, fair, I do the same thing and <laughs> I'm not 3, so My sister brought him to the zoo one day without either of us and she was like, "You know, Every zookeeper that we saw, Rob just ran right up to them and they all said, Rob, and then looked at me and said, who are you? <laughs> you are not Jesse or Trip." <laughs> uh, he also thinks that all adults take care of animals. So he pretty much has this assumption that every person just grows up and decides what animals they want to work with. So when he meets strangers, he often asks them, um, what animal do you take care of? <laughs> That's amazing. So are there any um, 
would you say any perks to both working? I mean, other than the fact that the Fort Worth Zoo is an incredible place and there are incredible people here. Um, and I'm not just saying that because your PR team's staring at me. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, um, are there any perks to being uh, the, the, the first family of the zoo? <laughs> I wouldn't say we're the first. The zoo has been really good to us. Yeah. Extremely uh, good to us. Um, you know, my supervisor was willing to change my schedule when Rob was born. So that was extremely helpful. I had uh, a couple weekend days off and uh, they just seemed to work with us. As I hope they do any married couple that has children or anyone that has children. Right, right. That's really cool, though. That's that's really cool. Um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people in this industry, and I don't know many. I can't think of anyone that I've even heard of, you know, that are both keepers, like, in the marriage. So um, That's because they tell you not to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. And, and, I, and I was going to say, and maybe it's more common than I thought, but I mean – if so, don't tell me because that's, that's why I was excited to talk to you. Guys, so, you know, um, but no, that's really cool. I love that they've been so, so flexible with you. Um, yeah. Both of our supervisor teams have been really great and really cool. helpful to us when we needed it. Very cool. So I'm, I'm curious and, and maybe I'm going a little too into the weeds here, but I know that most keepers that I talk to, um, their, their animals are, are their primary focus. And now, and I know that they still are a big focus for y'all, but I also know as a parent myself that you now have a, a three-year-old. And so what perspective do you get or what perspective change happens being a parent, um, as well as a keeper? Uh, at one point I jokingly said, that if it was between being at my first child's birth and an elephant birth, I'd go to the elephant birth. <laughs> yeah. He got lots of dirty looks for that. <laughs> okay, so I have a confession. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this on the podcast, and I may cut it later. But um, when Miles was born, uh, his mother went into labor. I was doing a local show, like close to where I lived. But uh, she went into labor during a Saturday night show. And I had a Sunday matinee. And I said, you need to have this baby before I need to leave for the Sunday matinee. <laughs> and I don't know what I would have done if she didn't. Uh, but I had to leave. I forget the exact time, but I had to leave by like 1020. And she had the kid at like 1010. <laughs> oh and my I gosh. literally <laughs> saw the kid and, and gave him a little peck. And I, I watched the birth, which was a whole other thing. And and then ran, got in my car, and went to a gig, and then came right back to. The, so yeah, I, I get it. When you're really passionate about something, and when something really matters to you, it it matters to you. And when you're in a unique position where you are needed, there isn't a a whole huge staff that you can just call to take over your job or whatever. <laughs> then that's the situation you're in. You know. So I get that. I was really thankful we didn't have to put it to the test. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. I, like I said, I don't know what would have happened if another 10 to 20 minutes had passed. I, I'm not – I don't have that answer yet. So let's talk about some of the individual animals that you all take care of. Let's start off with the elephants. Uh, so we currently house seven Asian elephants here at the Fort Worth Zoo. They range in age from 7 to 47. Wow. Very cool. And – um. I I know that you guys have a new uh, new exhibit coming. So we do. Elephant Springs is uh, 
going to open hopefully next spring if everything is on track, fingers crossed. Um, the exhibits are pretty much all done. We're just going through some punch lists, punch list to make sure everything's good. It's going to, it's going to have two on exhibit habitats and four off exhibit habitats for elephants. Plus we will house uh, the greater one horn rhino in that section as well. Plus a 500,000 gallon pool. I got a little sneak peek. Oh, nice. It is stunning. Yeah. I wanted to hang out there. I wanted to go swimming. I wanted to. I can't even believe how amazing that place is. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, What kind of work went into designing that and and figuring out how all that's going to work logistically? Um, Years and years of planning. It goes in anything zoo-wise and especially with elephants because they're so large and they're they can be destructive at times. So we did some test runs with some of the material they were going to use, and we figured out that some of it was going to hold up and some of it wasn't going to hold up. Um, we've learned that the grass doesn't last as long as we would like it to. <laughs> so we're, gonna, we're holding them off of certain areas to hopefully let the grass root a little longer. Um, it's just, especially with something as large as elephant springs, as large as elephants, you, you kind of build it. And then you see what needs to get fixed. And we're, we're learning. It's definitely a learning curve to have something so new and nice and shiny. And uh, every day we're learning something new about it. That's awesome. Um, so tell me about some individual elephants. Well, so our two youngest are Belle and Bowie. Uh, Belle is around 5,400 pounds and Bowie is 5,600 pounds. Bowie is our little male. And Belle is our youngest female. Uh, we have Rasha, Angel, and Bluebonnet, who are adult females, and Romeo and Colonel, who are adult males. And our largest male is 10,700 pounds. That is a lot of elephants. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. All right. So um, I know that uh, elephants can no longer be free contact. They're the protected contact now. Um, did you always work with them protected contact, or do you have experience doing free? Uh, so I have experience in both. I started my career, actually my volunteer career, uh, with free contact elephants. And up until the Fort Worth Zoo, I did everything free contact. And then we switched over in 2016 to protected contact. Uh, Ringling, we were always free contact because I was on the road with uh, 12 females. Um, definitely elephants. Elephants. <laughs> <laughs> elephants. Yeah. All right. And uh, what are your thoughts on the, the differences between the two? Personally... I think it should depend on each elephant. Uh, some elephants thrive in protected contact and some elephants thrive in uh, free contact and some uh, kind of flounder in both. It depends again. Gotcha. Um, what are what are some of the perks of, of protected contact? Um, it can be safer at times. Uh, for the keepers, a downside of uh, protected contact is if an elephant doesn't want to participate in a medical procedure, if it has a EEHV or tuberculosis, uh, it can walk away. And that's really when you got to um, decide, do we want an elephant to get extremely sick or do we want to step in and take care of it? Gotcha. Makes sense. It's, it's always tough to come up with uh, policies, I think, that, that encompass all members of a group when they're made up of individuals. Yep. We like to go deep here on Rasafari, <laughs> at least until we get to the poop story. But, uh, you know. 
Okay. I mean, well, you're going I, deep with that one, too. Oh, <laughs> ew. <laughs> um, I am going to let you take a little break from from questions because I clearly <laughs> just uh, just worry out a little bit with that one. Um, so, so, so Jesse, talk to me about the animals that you're taking care of. So before I do that, I actually have a special connection to one of the elephants that I want to point out to, to add on to Tripp's story. Uh, and that is with um, Romeo, who is one of their older males. Um, and I don't actually have a connection to him. I don't actually work with the elephants at all in any capacity. However, Romeo was a touring circus elephant with Ringling Brothers. And when he was a baby, he actually went out on the road with his mother and with another young elephant, Juliet. And the tour was called the Romeo and Juliet tour. (laughs) And that is the first circus that I remember ever attending as a child. And I've always loved animals. I've always loved circuses. um, Always wanted to work with animals. And so it's just one of those really special things that as a kid, I remember seeing them in the circus, remember being so amazed and delighted by them. And then now as an adult, I see Romeo again. Um, So it's just one of those really special things connections that I feel like I have with an animal who obviously doesn't know I exist. Um, And so I feel like that's one of those things that zoos and circuses and other animal facilities can provide to everyone, not just members of the public, but it happens to those of us that work there as well. That's amazing. That is such a cool story. I love that. Awesome. Um, But now your animals. Yes. Now I can talk about my animals. (laughs) Um, so I work with a, a really big variety of animals, birds, mammals, and reptiles. Um, it's a huge variety, which is one of the things I love about doing outreach. Um, I truly think I would be bored if I worked with only hoofstock or only birds or only reptiles. Um, I love the variety. I love that every day is different with them. Um, uh, past Jesse would never have thought I would saying this, but all of my favorites are birds. (laughs) And I've never been, I would never have described myself as someone who loved birds. Um, As a young adult, I was kind of afraid of birds. Um, I've been bitten by a lot of parrots before entering the zoo field and since entering the zoo field by a handful. Um, And so birds were always at the bottom of my list. There was a time I was like, I don't want to work with birds. That's, you know, that that wouldn't be the job for me. Um, And all these years later, the individuals are all, the birds are always my favorites. Um, they just have a, it's a special way of working with them that just really kind of sparks something and makes them super fun. Um, so one of my individual favorites here is a, a Hadida Ibis, whose name is Phil, um, or Hadada Ibis, depending on um, what part of Africa you're in. Um, but I call him a Hadida Ibis. Uh, and he's kind of a, a special one for me. We have a really close relationship, a really close bond um, he came in to our department as kind of a blank slate. He's had a few different homes. Um, and so it was really my goal to make him a usable, workable outreach animal so that he could stay with us for hopefully the rest of his life. Um, and I, I did that. He is a, a usable working bird in our department. And so we have a really special relationship. Um, another animal that I really love to talk about is uh, Percy, our turkey. We have a Rio Grande turkey. Uh, and he's just a super fun one because uh, not many outreach departments have turkeys. There's a handful, but not very many. Um, and Percy is just such a showstopper. He is a big, handsome, flamboyant turkey. And when he gets in front of an audience, he just turns it on. 
Um, in our stage shows, when he makes his entrance, we play I'm sexy and I know it because he just, he struts. He uh, oh, goes through those barn doors and flares up and immediately starts displaying and he will strut across the stage for as long as there is an audience present to watch him. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, it's funny. I've, I've spoken to uh, numerous bird keepers now and I think every one of them started off and said, yeah, if you had told me that I would love birds, I would have said you're crazy. Yes. Um, and I have to tell you, birds were one of my, I mean, I, I will happily skip avi aviaries normally at zoos and stuff. But once I started getting to get some hands-on experience and go behind the scenes and um, had an owl land on me or, or um, you know, a... Uh, uh, a laughing kookaburra sitting in my hands eating mealworms or whatever. Yeah, there's something really amazing about them. And and I think it is something that you have to experience almost because I do feel like um, birds are very distant to people in a way um, until you get that experience. They, they, they're flying, which is something we don't understand. And, and um, you know, when we see them, they're, they're up high and oftentimes they're, they're very loud. Um, yeah, they're, they're, so different from us. And I feel like people um, pretty instinctually can read the body language of some animals. Um, at least animal people can very easily, you know, tell the body language of a mammal um, and what it's, you know, kind of thinking or feeling in that moment. And birds are tough. Birds' body language is, you know, something you have to really work on and study, or at least I do, does not come instinctually to me. Um, but yeah, they just have such personalities and they're so fun to work with. Um, and of course, being an outreach keeper, um, a lot of our animals are birds. So I've gotten a lot of experience with them over the years, which of course adds to to all of that as well. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Um, so what kind of, I, I, you know, let's pretend COVID doesn't exist. Uh, what kind of shows do y'all do? So um, we do stage shows here at the zoo um, during summertime primarily and then during holidays as well. Um, and our shows tend to be what we call loosely scripted shows. So they have a theme, um, they have a script, but we try to keep, um, we, we don't uh, insert specific animals into specific roles. So instead we'll have kind of blocks. So we'll say, um, this block is a bird of prey. Um, this block is a animal that climbs, things like that. And that way we're never um, forcing an animal to work or stuck in a situation where we needed an animal to work and it can't. Um, so if we say we need a bird of prey, well, you know, if the great horned owl, you know, wants to work today, awesome. If not, um, you know, maybe the Harris hawk wants to work today. If he doesn't work today, then maybe the barn owl works today. So we have a lot of options. We try to keep our options flexible so that if an animal says no, we can absolutely, you know, do that. Makes sense. Very cool. So, um, tell me, tell me about some more of your faves. Um, let's see. So maybe I'll tell you about a non bird this time. <laughs> I've already told you about two, uh, two birds. I'm currently working with a Patagonian cavey. Um, and so that's a rodent from South America. Um, and he is super cool. Um, we love bringing him out because kids, have no idea what he is. Most people have never seen a KV. We don't have any KVs on exhibit here at the zoo. Um, so he's a really special one that I love to bring out. Um, people always are like, is that, is it a jackrabbit? Is it a, a deer? Is it a donkey? Is it a kangaroo? 
Um, because we're in Texas, we often tell people he's our jackalope. <laughs> um, but he is one that I'm uh, currently training with. And to be honest, my favorite individual animals often are whoever I am currently doing a training project with. <laughs> so he's one I've been spending a lot of time with lately. That's awesome. Um, what kind of behaviors are you training? So I am training for voluntary crating. Um, and this is one of these um, kind of neat situations. So as you know, you know, zoos have evolved over the years, and that is no different in outreach departments. And so several years ago, Hector uh, is the KV, was never truly crate trained. We just presented the crate to him, and then he was sort of herded into it. Um, and to be clear, he wasn't putting up a fight or anything like that, but it wasn't his choice. He was being herded into his crate. Well, now we've decided that that's not how we want to do things anymore. We'd like everything to be as choice-based as possible for our animals and as positive as possible. Um, and so we've kind of deconstructed his training and are rebuilding it back up. So now he crates totally voluntarily. Um, there's no baiting, there's no coercion. Um, and that's really the ideal situation for us and our animals. Makes sense. So, um, going off of that trip, uh, how do you guys even build a crate that's big enough for an elephant? (laughs) (laughs) I kid, I kid. But talk to me about, um, you know, I know you have to move them between yards and between barns and stuff like that. So what kind of, uh, training can you do for that with elephants? Um, as far as like shifting goes, we just get them used to being moved back and forth, where there's always a, a high reward a treat involved, usually apples or carrots, something they really enjoy. Um, normally, we'll uh, start off shifting by stationing them somewhere in the yard, uh, opening a gate, having them walk through it, and closing the gate. Or sometimes, we'll just leave the gate open so they have an option to come back and forth. Okay, very cool. Do you take care of anything other than elephants? At the moment, no. No? Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Um, So what other kind of enrichment do you do for the elephants? Because I know that elephants are pretty smart. And so I'm guessing that you have to have a lot going on. to Uh, Extremely smart. So we just added um, an enrichment arm and one of the off-exhibit yards, but we'll eventually have them in all the habitats. Uh, So we can put uh, food up there. We can hang brows. We can hang a toy that they can hit around. We also have uh, big plastic boomer balls. Some of our elephants like to roll around. Some of them stand on them. Uh, sometimes we'll bury the produce for them so they have to dig for it. Uh, it just depends on the day we have. Every day is a different enrichment item for them. Sometimes it's food. Sometimes it's bubbles. Sometimes it's just sounds. Wow. Okay. Um. So I don't think I knew that elephants dig. So is that a trunk thing or a tusk thing? Or uh, how do elephants dig? Uh, sometimes. It depends on the elephant. Uh, they'll start with their feet and then they'll start to move uh, the the sand around with their trunks. Wow, that's cool. I did not know that. Very cool. Um, and speaking of enrichment, uh, Jesse, what, what kind of stuff do you guys do for enrichment? Or is it basically just all enrichment since you know, you're prepping them for the shows and stuff? So our enrichment is actually, um, I think, a little bit, we have a little bit more leeway in our department because our animals are not on exhibit. So we don't have to worry about our enrichment looking naturalistic, um, which opens a few more doors to us. We can be a little bit more creative. We don't have to worry about, like, does this look naturalistic to the public? Um, that being said, we've um, actually just recently been totally revamping our enrichment in our department. So we've gone from what was the standard, which was 
um, you know, every morning we have an enrichment calendar, you put something in with each animal, which is pretty standard. Um, so we're trying to switch our focus instead of saying, what object am I putting in with this animal today? It's what behavior do I want to elicit today? So if the behavior is foraging, then we might hang a big variety of different toys, um, foraging boxes, things like that in our in, in enclosure in order to elicit that behavior. So we're trying to shift the focus of how we think about enrichment um, every day. We've also started providing um, our birds with an enrichment stall. So we took an empty stall that wasn't being used and we put a bunch of perching in it that would be appropriate for multiple different animals. Um, and so we can rotate them through it. So there's nothing um, more enriching to an animal than completely changing its environment. <laughs> um, so if we can put a parrot in there for an hour or a couple hours during the day, it just gives them a completely different view than they get from their house. Makes sense. Uh, so trip elephants kind of endangered in the wild. I, I hear, I heard a rumor. Um, y'all, y'all working on any, uh, conservation stuff. Uh, so we do, um, International Elephant Foundation was formed here in 1999. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and it's an international organization that a lot of zoos contribute uh, funds to, and the IEF uh, distributes the funds to needed research projects uh, in zoos and mostly in the wild. Uh, they contribute money to elephant-human conflict or how to figure out how to mediate it. Uh, they do a lot of projects with uh, rangers in Africa. Um, they're building buildings for rangers. And the, one of the neat things they're doing in Africa right now is they're finding snares and they're actually building the buildings out of old snares. Wow. That's really cool. Very cool. Awesome. Um, and, you know, since elephants are such a um, flagship species of the zoo, I mean, the logo is uh, an FW for Fort Worth that is making an elephant. Um what impact do you think having the elephants here has on people as far as um, making them care about elephants in the wild and, and helping with conservation? I'll start off with me. Uh, for me personally, I wouldn't care about elephants if we didn't have one at a zoo back home. But absolutely. It wasn't on my radar until I saw one. And I saw it pretty much every day during the summer. Um, I think people go leave with a better understanding of elephants, not only in zoos and in the wild, and it actually uh, makes them care more about them. Very good, very good. And I'm I'm going to ask you this question, and obviously I'm biased, and so are you. But I do know that um, even amongst zoo fans, there is definitely concern about whether elephants should be kept in captivity or not. And um, I really respect zoos like the Buffalo Zoo that literally said, hey, we don't have the space to give these elephants what they need and moved on from the program. Now, I have seen the new space. Actually, I think the current space is lovely. But having seen the new space, it, it is amazing. So clearly, clearly, I'm not, you know, I don't feel that way. And I think that the, the work that y'all do is incredible. But what would you say to somebody who says, man, should elephants be in captivity? Are you really treating them okay? How would you answer that? I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. Um, Elephant keepers are pretty dedicated people, and we spend all day coming up with new enrichment items, uh, new training plans to figure out what we can do to keep these animals engaged 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, part of the money that you spend to get into the Gata Zoo goes to elephant conservation. 
So even if you don't agree with it, you've already paid for <laughs> 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 conservation. So, um, awesome. So uh, are there any other animals at the zoo that either of you would like to talk about, call attention to, either whole species or, or individuals? Oh, wow. I have a couple favorites throughout the zoo. Um, I don't think you know what the word favorite means because we're on to like I, your fifth well, favorite okay, already. That's accurate. <laughs> accurate. But when it comes to animals outside of my department, I definitely can it, – it's an easier time having favorites because I don't have a connection with them. Sure, right? sure. Sure, sure, So when I am walking through the zoo as a guest with, say, my son, I always want to stop and see our saltwater crocodile, Salty. Um, because he's so big and so impressive. Um, and he just, I, to me, I look at him and I can feel the power <laughs> coming off of <laughs> such a large, um, impressive animal. Um, so he is one that I always make sure that I tell guests, you know, make sure you stop and see him. Very cool. How about you? I would say Gus the gorilla. I, he was born the day before I started. So we kind of have a special connection. <laughs> <laughs> one of those one-sided connections no. too. He doesn't know. <laughs> hey man, those one-sided connections can mean a lot. And sometimes I think they're a little less one-sided than we even think, honestly. Um I have animals in my life that I've 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 felt the one-sided connection towards and then gotten to meet or something and they've they've reacted to me differently than they do to other people that they meet and I think, "Oh, okay, maybe there is something there." Um, not to get all philosophical, but I, I do think that there is, is a, that, that connection is important and is deeper than, than we can understand. Um, so it just occurred to me that you said something and, and, you know, you, you were being so engaging that I, I kind of missed this, but Jesse, turkeys? <laughs> Tell me about turkeys because we're at a zoo with all these amazing animals and you're like, bah, turkeys. So why are turkeys so amazing? So Percy as an individual is just, again, so engaging with the public. People all the time tell us that they love seeing him, um, which makes him an amazing ambassador. But they're also just really fun animals. Um, and they have lots of really cool vocabulary words associated with them. Um, so for instance, you've probably all heard the term waddle before on like chickens and stuff. So turkeys also have a waddle. It's like a big bunch of skin that hangs down um, under their face. And then all over the waddle is covered with wrinkles and these little bumps that are called caruncles, <laughs> which is one of my favorite words in the world. And then on top of their beak, a little piece of skin uh, hangs down. That's called a snood. So another super fun vocabulary word. And when they're not displaying, that snood actually sucks up into their nasal, ca nasal cavity and it kind of just sticks out like a tiny fleshy unicorn horn <laughs> above their beak. Um, <laughs> so they're just, they're so fun um, and they're so transformative. And no one thinks of a turkey as being something special until they see him in person. When you meet Percy, I guarantee you, you cannot not love him. <laughs> Percy was very cool. And also I just, you know, I love the whole bird dinosaur connection and Percy is a yeah, dinosaur. Big dinosaur feet. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and the way he moves and just, yeah, that was, uh, Percy's very cool. Yeah. All right. Very cool. So what I like to do at this point in the interview is open up the floor. Um, 
to literally anything. I always suggest if there are conservation orgs that you like to talk about for a minute, that's cool. But you could you could shout out your son. You could do whatever you want. <laughs> um, just the floor is yours. Do you want to mention EMA? Yeah. So uh, there's a really good elephant professional organization out there called Elephant Managers Association. Uh, we currently have 300 plus members that uh, cover the whole world. Uh, it's all different aspects of elephant management from a caring phone to uh, vet care, all the way up to the directors of the zoos. Uh, no matter what type of elephant management uh, you're taking, you're in, uh, we accept you into the organization. Uh, we hold an annual conference each year in a different city that has elephants, and we cover, again, all aspects of elephant care. Very cool. And um, and Tripp's a board member of it, oh, which he left out. <laughs> fancy. Very fancy. And um, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you're not making – a ton of money off of that, huh? Off that, that board membership there? No, zero. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I just say that to point out yet again that, you know, the, the, the people that do this for their career also end up volunteering a lot of time and are so passionate about what they do. And um, I think that plays into the, the earlier elephant question that I asked you about taking care of them. You know, you're clearly working on a global organization to make sure that these guys are well taken care of. And that, my friend, is very cool. I dig that. I dig that a lot. Um, and yeah, so, uh, Jesse? Uh, well, in all the podcasts that I've been listening to lately, this is the point where someone says, go out and vote. Uh, but we're past that now. So, <laughs> so <laughs> um, instead, I, I'm actually just, I'm just going to give a shout out to uh, other uh, zookeeper parents uh, because I know that there's a group of us and I know we all face similar challenges. We also, um, we all like to kind of chat about it and talk to each other and make sure we're there to support each other when we can be. Um, there's a Facebook group for zookeepers with kids. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And so since it is just, you know, sort of a, a unique aspect of being a parent and a zookeeper, I'm just going to have a shout out to all those other zookeeper parents out there. I love that so much. That is such a sweet thing to say. And now let's ruin it by going to the Rasafari poop story. We get two today. So, um, whoever wants to go first, go ahead. All right. Tripp's giving me the gesture, so I'll go first. Just remember, though, before yes. you do this, Tripp, yes. if you let her go first, your poop story is going to be the last the thing on this podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> Are you that. sure you don't want to go? Tripp's like, I will never speak again. <laughs> so I don't have an actual... Uh, I guess it is a poop story, but uh, all our elephants combined is about 1,200 pounds each. Of poop. Of poop every day. <laughs> and uh, we clean the yards, or the stalls, every morning and every afternoon with a bobcat and a tractor. So you literally like bulldoze poop, basically. Yes, essentially bulldoze poop every morning. <laughs> wow, that's um, that's a story. All right, I like it. And uh, Jesse, how about you? All right, my story involves um, poop, among other disgusting things. <laughs> Um, and it is about our Burmese python, whose name is Bellatrix. Um, she's a pretty big snake. She's about nine feet long. And she has a pretty good feeding response, as do most Burmese pythons. Um, and she eats guinea pigs. And so they're pre-killed. They're frozen, frozen thawed. Um, and so one day I went to feed Bella. And I placed the guinea pig in her enclosure. And she kind of ignored it at first, um, which is not unusual. Um, but when she struck it, she did so with such 
speed and such power and she must have hit it in just the right way so she struck it and could started constricting at the same time um and she must have hit it in just the right way because the guinea pig exploded i'm talking an audible pop and then blood and entrails everywhere thankfully her enclosure door was closed so it stayed in her enclosure but there was Blood and guinea pig insides and guinea pig feces all over the enclosure. And then, because she did this in midair, so she, like, raised her body up when she did this, she came crashing down in her water bowl, which then sent a typhoon of water uh, throughout her enclosure. So she was basically now swimming in a pool of water and blood and feces. (laughs) Um, and of course, at that point, there's nothing you can do about it until she is finished eating. You can't go in there and, and move a snake that's mid-meal. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so that was a, um, uh, a poop story that I will never forget. <laughs> oh, that is a good one. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Again, I want to take the time to thank Avery at the Fort Worth Zoo for being such an incredible contact and setting up an amazing day and diverse set of interviews for me. All of this was so fascinating and showed so many amazing different sides of what is happening at the Fort Worth Zoo. Truly, truly thank you, Avery. This zoo knows how to make a podcaster feel special. If you'd like to learn more about Trip, Jesse, the Fort Worth Zoo, the Zookeepers with Kids Facebook group that Jesse mentioned, or the Elephant Managers Association, check the show notes for links to all of their various websites and social media. Also, don't forget to subscribe to, rate, and review Rasafari wherever you listen to podcasts. Check the show notes for ways to support the pod as well. And now, here's a happy sound. Caruncles, 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 caruncles. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.